It's time for the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. On this edition of the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast, we have another exciting week of the National Football League to talk about. Exciting upsets and close games all around. We will also be talking about Colin Kaepernick and also fantasy football files with Jason Kamlowski. All that and so much more. Make sure you stay tuned. Glad you connected. This is Dave Johnson, voice of the Washington Wizards. You have connected to the right place because you are listening to my man, Josh Kirby, on Sports Podcast. All righty, back with you with another edition of the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Kirby. If you didn't know that by now, by the name of my podcast, LOL. But anyways, we are part of the Mayo Please Podcast Network. Make sure you check them out on Twitter and Instagram at the Mayo Please and at Mayo Please Sports. And we are also sponsored by Rat 11 Chips. Make sure you find the bag today inside your local Martin's Food Line and Giant Stores. And we are also sponsored by PM Plus Reserves. As always, want to give a big thanks to Dave Johnson, JR Beats Official, and MPT Now Productions. So another jam-packed episode for you. We have a lot of stuff, including news that dropped Today, as we are recording on Tuesday, the 12th of November. But before we do, I want to bring in, as always, our contributor to the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast, Dan Dembski. Dan, um, pretty exciting game down in Blacksburg to cap off the homestand for the Virginia Tech Hokies, the last home game for Bud Foster. So, Tell us a little bit about covering that game for the paper down in Blacksburg. Well, it's the second to last home game. I'll correct you on that. Uh, oh. why, they, why they picked this game to have sort of the final thing for Bud Foster was odd to me. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun, Josh. Uh, got to sit up in the press box and watch a uh, – a very close and nail-biting first half. Of course, it was ten to ten to six at halftime, and um, and we just came out in the second half and probably played our best half of football yet this year. And you know how the the defense just played so well, forcing two two turnovers, two key turnovers in the third third and fourth quarter that uh, really helped us help the offense especially, and we scored scored a decent amount in the second half. So it was a very fun game to cover, Josh. Um, a, a pretty big upset for the Hokies. And, of course, um, everyone was happy during the post-game press conference, especially uh, Coach Fuente and Bud Foster. Uh, they were pretty thrilled with how the game turned out, for obvious reasons. 
Yeah, so um, the way it's looking now, are we seeing Virginia Tech maybe going bowl eligible, or what? what's the scenario going on with that towards the end of the college football regular season? Well, yeah, they're, um, they, they've got a pretty good shot to not only be bowl eligible, Josh, but uh, but but win their side of the ACC. Um, let me pull up the standings here real quick. You asked me sort of quickly, so... I believe Virginia Tech is in second right now. We'll give me just a minute. I'll get that here for us. But uh, I believe we need just two wins to be bowl eligible. We have to have seven this season uh, because of scheduling two FCS teams, which only one counts towards the overall uh, record. Uh, what the heck? Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, we're six and three. We actually need one more win uh, to lock up bowl, bowl, elig- bowl eligibility and only one win behind UVA, who has played kind of up and down. We have a big game coming up on the road against Georgia Tech uh, this coming up weekend. And then we host Pittsburgh, which that Pittsburgh game, they have the same overall record that we do. So this is, and they have the same conference record. So that's that's one that people are going to circle and that's one we're going to come back to and talk about, I'm sure a lot down here in Blacksburg for the next couple of weeks until that happens. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been an intense season. Um, this, the coastal side of the ACC has been very unpredictable with teams really shifting back and forth. Um, and that's, that's been the overall thing again and again has been, just how exciting and how unpredictable it's been, Josh. And I think it's going to continue to stay that way. You know, but right now, Virginia Tech kind of controls their own destiny. Uh, you know, UVA kind of has an easier schedule from from here on out. Uh, they, this week, give me a second here, scrolling. Computer's being slow. Um, they have a week, a, a bye week this coming up weekend. And then next weekend, uh, they they play host to Liberty uh, before they have Virginia Tech, of course, in the usual Black Friday, November 29th slot. So they basically have two weeks to prepare now for Virginia Tech, which is uh, is pretty nerve wracking when when you think of it. But yeah, Tech controls their own destiny. They I think they have a pretty good chance to win out at this point, and that might be what they have to do to win to win the Coastal Division and have a shot to play Clemson in the ACC championship game right now. Well, very good insight from our Blacksburg reporter, Dan Dembski. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan, the VT man, 97. So Dan, um, continuing a little bit, um, still with ESPN Blacksburg, I am assuming covering volleyball, uh, just, give an update to the listeners about how that is going for you. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's actually winding down. The season's almost over now. Um, it's a couple more weeks left. And then I have about two more weeks left of my internship after that. Uh, so right now the plan is for me to cover women's basketball just for those last couple weeks before we hit Christmas break. And, uh, and another semester is, is another semester is in the book. So, uh, that that's the plan right now, but uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it, man. I'm getting a chance to, you know, sit in the press row for these games. Uh, a lot, I've been live tweeting a lot of them. Sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. Uh, but then getting a chance to talk about it on the air and 
and uh, and have some fun with it. That's that's been the big thing this semester that I've really enjoyed, and that's really what being being on the radio is all about. Um, you know, you have to do your research, but you, you get to have a little a little bit of fun with it, and I certainly have so far. So. Uh, you can check out all my segments on the ESPN Blacksburg website if you head on over there and just find Dan Dembski Volleyball. Um, I'm on there several times. I usually am on there once a week. I, I'm not on there this week. Um, and I, I've taken a couple weeks off because they've had some road games. But uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope to continue next semester doing – keep doing similar things with other sports. So – um, yeah, I hope it, I hope it goes well. Yeah. Well, that, that's always great to hear Dan succeeding pretty well down there. And, um, I appreciate it. And what, once you come back up here for, uh, Thanksgiving break, I'm sure you will be coming on the show a lot. So, um, oh, looking yeah. For- yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that because we've been doing more of these phone conferences, but face to face is even better. So absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll be getting Dan on more and more as Thanksgiving break winds down. But that's about all for the uh, segment for Virginia Tech Hokie Sports that Dan covers. And we're going to move on to some other action. Um, Before we begin, how about number one Kentucky getting a loss against Evansville? I've never even heard of this school, Evansville, and I, yeah. Kentucky by three points. Yeah, that's that was shocking. I think I shared it on Twitter and just said, "What?" Yeah, that uh, that's surprising considering you know Kentucky, uh, you know, had a huge top five victory just just last week to start the season off. I think was a clear was clearly one of the best teams in college basketball a lot of people thought coming in and this is a team you're supposed to supposed to beat you know pretty handily um so that's a big loss i think it's you know it's early enough in the season to where it's not going to crush your entire year uh, but certainly it's not uh (laughs) it's not what you have in mind when you schedule a team like evansville and i had to look too josh i uh i did not think that they were a real team. I had to double check. Um, and that's, that's never a good sign. So um, you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Evansville led pretty much the whole game from what I had read. And they really just dominated uh, and just outplayed uh, Kentucky. By the way, Kentucky, the line in this game was favored, obviously, in Kentucky's way. They were 20, 24 point, 24 and a half point favorites over Evansville. So Give credit where credit's due, man. Evansville is in the Missouri Valley Conference, which, again, I didn't think existed. Um, but it goes to show you, you never know. Uh, you know, a lot of teams schedule those, uh, especially in college sports, schedule those cupcake games, and you expect a team to come out and just dominate. And, <laughs> you know, for Kentucky, they got absolutely stunned in their home buildings. So that's a huge loss. Um you know, like I said, I don't know if it ruins their whole season, but certainly they have a lot of work to do to prove to people that they can be competitive, especially at home, losing losing to Evansville, a team they were favored by nearly 25 to take down. So uh, give a ton of credit to Evansville. They came out and they played really good defense, and uh, they they earned the victory. That's the bottom line. <laughs> 
Yeah, looking at some of these stats I'm lo- looking at here, they're pretty, you know, consistent between each other, like field goal pr- a percentage, 23 for 60, and Kentucky had 20 for 54, and yeah. the field goal percentage is 38.3 and 37, so pretty similar numbers, your three-point percentage, 30 to 23 going to Evansville and assist 10 to six Evansville, you know, similar stats, but what really stands out to me is the largest lead in the game for Evansville was only eight points. Kentucky, Kentucky's largest lead was only three points. So sorry about that. Yeah. So very interesting to see there, um, you know, just a, such an, upset game so early in the college football season. But um, I I just wanted to bring that up to you all because I just found out about it like a couple hours ago as we were recording. So yeah, moving moving right along here now, it's time for a topic that has been released today as well. Colin Kaepernick is hosting a workout. Um, on Saturday, no media, no reporters are allowed. It's very strictly private, confidential to all 32 teams in the NFL. Um, Kaepernick tweeted, I'm quoting his tweet, I'm just getting word from my representatives that the NFL League office reached out to them about a workout in Atlanta on Saturday. I've been in shape and ready for this for three years. Can't wait to see the head coaches and GMs on Saturday. Um, My thoughts on this starting out, um, I know Kaepernick has been – on a long hiatus from the NFL. I'm not going to really go into much detail, but he has been out of the league for the, for a while. But in my opinion, before he exited the league, uh, the way he did, he really, his performance in my opinion was not the best, but um, yeah, three years off. Do you think Kaepernick has what it takes to, rejoin the league as a quarterback oh that's that's tough um you know he uh his career stats are really good he had 72 touchdowns and 30 interceptions um he's uh, played in 69 games in his career and obviously he's been away for three years now i think the big question is how how well has he stayed in shape he's you know he states he stayed in shape but it's it's a wonder if he stayed in football shape because there's a big difference between being in shape and being in football shape and being ready to go now. And that's the big question mark for me right now. I I think he can play and he can certainly be a backup quarterback for just about any team in this league. I think, um, I think he's better than a, a lot of backups in the league, but again, it comes back to, is he ready to go? He's, he says he is, we're going to find out. Um, and it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what head coaches and what GMs show up. Because I, I do think there there will be an attraction there. Because, you know, at, at the end of his career, you know, his last season in the NFL, you know, wasn't it wasn't perfect. You know, he had 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. But his worst statistical season was the year before, six 
six touchdowns and five picks. So even that's not too awful. Um, I, I certainly think based off the numbers he can play, but again, being away from the game for so long, has he, will he be able to step back in and play after, um, you know, being out for three seasons? That's really difficult to do. Now, if, you know, if he, he were a year or two removed, maybe a, if he was a year removed, I'd definitely say he's got an opportunity uh, because guys, guys can come back all the time that are out of season. Uh, but we, but we'll see uh, just how well this workout goes. And uh, again, I think there'll be a lot of a lot of GMs and a lot of head coaches there to take a look to see, you know, if he can uh, if he can play the position. I I think he can. Uh, but again, I I don't know what kind of shape he's in. Um, so and I also don't know what kind of backlash this might have too. Uh, unfortunately, um, so uh, I feel like a lot of the people who were against what. What he, uh, you know, he started the, the the kneeling thing. Of course, that's the only time I'm going to bring it up. Uh, I feel like a lot of those folks have already stopped watching the NFL who really uh, didn't care for it. So it'll be interesting to see that side of it too if he does come back, if he does get an offer from another team. So we'll see, Josh. I, I think it's it's way too early to speculate. I, again, we don't know what kind of shape he's in. We don't know if he'll be um, straight off the – docket ready to play that that'll be the interesting thing moving forward yeah honestly i'm just looking at this from a quarterback and is he ready to go standpoint with all the political views and all the backlash out the door i i feel like colin kaepernick can be a backup for just about any team in the league i i can see so many different teams and so many different scenarios where colin kaepernick could be on a team but i i just know there's some people don't like him but this is strictly a standpoint on another quarterback in the league so i'm just clearing that up but Uh, yeah um, i agree agree. yeah but it's going to be interesting to see on Saturday right after, right before um, a slate of Sunday games in week 11, how many teams and how many GMs are, who's going to show up to this workout in Atlanta. It's, yeah. I, it's going to be really interesting to see if it will be a big turnout for Colin Kaepernick to see if a team maybe wants to sign him. Yeah, and it's it's odd timing too to have it on a Saturday, and that that's a good point too. Um, you know, a lot of these coaches, especially coaches, uh, on Saturdays is usually their biggest day for preparation, their final day for preparation. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see who shows up and um, you know who who wants to see what he can do and who takes the time out of their schedule to do it. Uh, those are all valid questions. I think that uh, we'll just have to wait until Saturday to see if they're answered. Yep, so we'll bring you more news to uh, obviously see if Colin Kaepernick gets signed, but if there are any new developments from that as well. But for the time being, we have another exciting edition of an NFL recap, Week 10 for you. And Dan, there were a lot of upsets this week, a lot. And I'm not really sure where to begin in this. Um, I mean, Atlanta and New Orleans, in my opinion, was one of the biggest shocker games. Beating New Orleans at home. And that was crazy. Because I I thought, oh man, 
Drew Brees is getting comfortable in the scenario and coming back from injury, but Drew Brees doesn't even put up a touchdown. No, uh, give credit to the Falcons' defense. They really, really dialed up the pressure on him, I I thought, and had him really running running for his life the entire game. So give a ton of credit to the Falcons' defense. Yeah, that's a shocking game. And how about Alvin Kamara, Josh? Only 24 yards rushing. Again, credit Atlanta's defense. Um, On the offensive side of the ball, Atlanta had some pretty good play from Matt Ryan, who threw for a buck 82 and two touchdowns. Uh, But it's normal, normal offensive output for the Falcons. But what was different was how the defense absolutely uh, stifled this Saints offense that's been so explosive week after week and uh this is this is a wake-up call game I think for the Saints you know they're seeing that maybe we're not as good as we thought we were um and and this could be a game where their whole mentality shifts and they start to have this sort of after the Falcons game mentality where they start to come out and really put teams away we'll see if that has an effect but yeah that was a shocking game Josh I couldn't believe the score uh I was Watching that one live, I think I saw most of it, and um, that that was certainly probably the biggest upset of the season so far, I'd say. Yeah, um, holding the Saints to nine points at home, that's shocking, and the Falcons were only one in seven, so... One big shocker, and shout out to Dan Gloucester and Ken Presley, um, the... The Ken's the host of the survivor pool I'm in. Three people picked New Orleans in our survivor pool to win, and Atlanta knocked them out. So um, moving on to another interesting game, Cleveland shocks Buffalo um, at at home, and uh, Buffalo had a chance to win, but their field goal was blocked. And... Mm -hmm. Josh Allen once again not scoring a touch, not throwing a touchdown. Excuse me, but it it looked like another one of those close games where it could go either way. Yeah, you got to give credit to the Browns um, in in a lot of ways. This was a tough matchup for them coming in. I think a lot of people picked Buffalo uh, simply by the fact that Buffalo's played so well, but um, um. But you got to give credit to Cleveland. They they really played well at home, and I, I I don't like to give Cleveland credit because obviously, as you know, I'm not a I'm not a Cleveland person. Uh, but but Nick Chubb ran the ball well, and I think that's really where it started with the Browns. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield is is not going to be able to throw it 50 times a game and, and and lead them to a win. I think I think he needs, especially he's still developing as a quarterback. Uh, you know, he's got to have. Um, a strong running game to start. And, and Nick Chubb certainly uh, was a huge part of that with his uh, 116 yards on the ground. And that sort of opened things up for Cleveland. Only 19 points, but but the Browns defense played very well, Josh. They, they really did everything they had to do to slow down Josh Allen and this Buffalo offense um, that, you know, is not a high-scoring, high, high-rolling offense. They, they can – they can get some points, but um, it was a complete effort for Cleveland, of course, um, even special teams. So um, they, they earned the win and uh, that's, that's a hard fought win for them 
uh, when they really needed one at home. So, yeah, I do want to make a correction. That was actually a missed field goal, not a yeah, I was gonna, field yeah. goal by mm-hmm. Stephen Hauschka. Um, he made a excuse me. Uh, he made a fifty-three yard field goal or earlier, and that field goal he missed was from thirty-four yards. So, um, yeah. but. The game I was going to talk about that had a blocked field goal to end of the game was the Tennessee-Kansas City game with Patrick Mahomes back in. And my my thoughts on this one was Patrick Mahomes fully ready to go back into action after being injured the past couple of games. And um, they play in their backup quarterback um, played pretty well in place of Patrick Mahomes. But what was Pat Mahomes ready to get thrown into a game? And the Chiefs are um, now 6-4 and four after that loss. So um, questioning whether how playoff implications look now after this loss. But I, I'm not sure if Pat Mahomes was completely ready to step back into action. Um, I would say yes. He threw for 400, almost 450 yards and threw three touchdowns. So, uh, I think he was ready, Josh. Um, (laughs) but you got to give credit to Tennessee. I mean, they were able to keep up very well on the scoreboard. And how about Ryan Tannehill played pretty darn well, 13 of 19 with two touchdowns. I think Pat Mahomes is ready. Um, I just think Kansas City's not as good as everyone says they are, Josh, and maybe this uh, is another situation of a wake-up call game um, with a young team, playing a young team like the Titans. And, um, you know, the, the Chiefs didn't play their best football, that's, that's for sure. Um, but but on, the, on, on the stat sheet, it really favors Kansas City. It was just a matter of the fact that the Tennessee was able to force a couple more turnovers. I think fumbles, if I'm not mistaken. I just saw one. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, the Chiefs outgained the Titans by, you know, 530 yards to 371. Uh, but, at, but at the end, it was that fumble by Kansas City early that, that kind of hurt them um, late, late in the game. Yeah. Uh, how about, you know, Ryan Tannehill had that touchdown pass with, with just 23 seconds left. So he deserves a ton of credit for stepping in for Marcus Mariota. A lot of people you know, probably didn't give Tennessee a huge chance to win uh, for, for obvious reasons when you, when you don't have your, your star quarterback. But I think I, – I, I don't know if there's a quarterback controversy brewing in Tennessee, uh, in Nashville, but there might be. Um, it just depends on consistency and if Ryan Tannehill can keep up this, this uh, pace. Uh, but, you know, Derrick Henry also had a great game, Josh, almost rushed for 200 yards and two touchdowns. So. You know, the, the Titans did, did everything they had to do. They forced turnovers, they ran the ball well, and they, were, they let Ryan Tannehill do what he can do sometimes. It's just a matter of if they can keep it going. I, I just don't know. Um, that division, the AFC South, is really interesting to see who's going uh, to take the bull by the horns because there really hasn't been a clear favorite right now. Every time someone pulls away, they end up losing. So. Uh, that that division is interesting to me. So I I think the Chiefs will be able to learn from this, and and get better. But it's obvious that they're not the same team they were a season ago. Um, and they're yeah. not as they're not as explosive 
Um, they're not as um, – the defense especially is not as good, Josh, that, that they were a season ago. Think of how good their defense was last year. And it's just not the same. So, you know, that's, that's uh, certainly my biggest takeaway. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, the Chiefs do not look the same. And um, it's going to be a big wake-up call to see um, – how they handle this adversity moving on to the next week. But another game I want to talk about the Steelers defense forcing havoc on the Los Angeles Rams, dropping the Rams to five and four. Another wake up call for this Rams team who made it to the Super Bowl last year and now they're five and four. But well, I have to talk about Minka Fitzpatrick here. He's mm-hmm. just doing incredible things since getting traded from Miami to Pittsburgh. The Steelers defense as as a whole played exceptionally well. And you know, the saying defense wins championships and the defense in this game won the Steelers, the ball game. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Josh. Anytime you give up 12 points, there's a pretty good chance you're going to win the football game. And especially against an offense coming in, for the Rams that a lot of people just assume is going to be able to score 35 or 40 points in this game. Jared Goff, no touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, did not play well. And you got to give credit to the Pittsburgh defense. I'll tell you what, the Steelers are an interesting team to me. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, uh, but they certainly here recently have played really solid football. And I, again, that's something that pains me to say being a Ravens fan. But they certainly have played very well. And, and for a team, there was talk of, of Mike Tomlin. If you, if you can remember, it was only a couple weeks ago where they, where they – a lot of people just kind of figured Mike Tomlin was done in Pittsburgh, that it was over, um, that his longtime sort of uh, playoff successes in the past, and, um, you know, that wasn't going to change the fact that he was going to get fired. He's got them playing well right now. And especially that defense that, you know, the last three or four seasons has really been weak. Um, you know, the offense is, offense is not great. The offense is not where you want it to be right now. You only scored 17 points. But you kept them, you kept them off the scoreboard after the first quarter. And, you, I mean, you kept them out of the end zone, I should say, uh, after the first quarter. So the Pittsburgh defense deserves a ton of credit. They're really playing with a lot of heart. I mean, they're missing, obviously, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, You know, Mason Rudolph really came into a tough situation. And they've played extremely well. And um, it'll be interesting interesting to see how Pittsburgh plays down the stretch because that was supposed to be a tough game for them. Uh, But, excuse me, um, they they deserve a ton of credit. And the Rams, uh, this kind of chimes in kind of with the Chiefs as well, but the Rams are not are just not the same football team. Uh, we've seen them in a couple a couple games this year where, where they really just have played poorly, and this is another example, especially Jared Goff, who is supposed to be the answer for them at quarterback. We'll see if he can get it together. Uh, but, yeah, the Rams have a lot of question marks right now, Josh, going forward, and they have Chicago coming up this weekend. Um, on Sunday night football, that's going to be an interesting matchup to see kind of where they are. Uh, they they desperately need that win. That's a home game too. So um, we'll see if they can get it going again. I 
I just don't, I don't see them being a Super Bowl threat right now, um, especially with losses. Uh, there was three in a row in October, Josh, when they lost to the Buccaneers, the Seahawks, and the, the 49ers all, yep. all in consecutive weeks. And that's kind of where the downfall has been so far. But, you know, like I said, Pittsburgh uh, playing great football right now. Um, not very great offensively, but defensively, they're certainly starting to put it together and make a Fitzpatrick, of course, forcing – uh, a lot of a, a lot of bad throws ending up in interceptions in his favor. So um, I talked a lot about that game. I'm I'm sorry. I'll I'll shut my trap now. Yeah, but the Mike Tomlin, uh, he's a good football coach. I don't care what anybody Absolutely. else says. M- Mike Tomlin knows how to coach a football team. Even if the Steelers are bad, Mike Tomlin's going to find a way to win. Sometimes. They'll lose, and it, he takes credit for the loss, you know. And he is a good head coach. He owns up to what he has done, the mistakes he's made, and they move on and they find a way to win a football game. That that's the last I'm going to say on this game. But credit to Mike Tomlin and the Steelers defense on getting the win this week. Um, moving right along, um, Indianapolis and Miami, um, questionable calling i'm not sure who caused the plays for indianapolis's offense but towards the end of the game um i saw at least one or two um long passes into the end zone that were incomplete and then on fourth down the colts to try to win the game um threw it short of the first down marker and the dolphins ended up winning getting their second win of the season um and Colts, as you know, Jacoby Brissett was out. Uh, Brian Hoyer was in place of Jacoby Brissett throwing 204 yards and a touchdown, but three interceptions. That's what's going to do it for you. The three interceptions in that game, in my opinion, just set the Colts back. And the the Dolphins played decent. You know, it was just a game of two Lower end teams keeping it close, in my opinion. But turnovers were the main factor in this one against the Dolphins for Indianapolis, and they got their second one of the season. Yeah, that uh, that was an ugly game, <laughs> to say the least. Um, you know the <clears throat> uh, you know the Colts really just played poorly especially on offense, Brian Hoyer. Um, I'm not sure if the expectation was coming in. I don't, I can't remember the last time he started a game. It's, it's been a while for him. Um, but yeah, he really had a rough day. Like you said, the interceptions, anytime you give another team, you know, free opportunities, you're, you're definitely going to hurt your chances. So, um, we'll see what happens going forward. The Col- like I said, the Colts are in an interesting division, you know, the Dolphins, I think it's a, I'm not going to say it's a lucky win, but certainly they had a lot of gifts given in this game, I I felt. Um, and not really sure how long, you know, Jacoby Brissett's going to be out. He might he might play uh, next week. Apparently he sat out uh, because Frank Reich, the head coach, you know, wanted him to make sure he was going to – he was he was okay, and, and they weren't sure. Um, so that's kind of a question mark moving forward if he's going to play, you know, if – 
if Brian Hoyer plays again next week, it, it's going to be tough for them to win no matter what. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. But 12 points is not going to get it done, um, especially when you wait until the third and fourth quarter to finally score. Um, so the, the Colts have a lot of questions. I, I think the defense is fine. They only give up 16 points. So, I mean – there was a lot of low-scoring games this week. In the, there were several low-scoring games in, in the NFL, which is really bizarre. Uh, Marlon Mack didn't, didn't play terribly. He had you know, 74 yards on 19 attempts. Um, but when you have a guy like Hoyer in a quarterback, Josh, you've got to lean on the run first. And the Colts couldn't get that done. And unfortunately, they got in their own way more times than not with the uh, turnovers. Yeah, uh, so... That it was just one of those games, and I, I I just thought the Colts had more potential. But with Jacoby Brissett out, um, Brian Hoyer, you know, just uh, another backup. He's played for New England, but just not a good game in general. Um, almost out of time on this segment. Want to run through a couple more. Close games, upsets, just really quick. The Oakland Raiders on that Thursday night game, what a ball game. The Chargers coming up just short, 26-24. to Oakland's last primetime game at home. Um, Very interesting on both sides of the ball. Great numbers put up by both teams, but Oakland just came away with the win. And my pick in my survivor pool that did not come up well, Matthew Stafford in the Detroit Lions. Um, excuse me, Matthew Stafford ruled out shortly before they played the Bears, and the Bears beat the Lions, which I, I sort of want to call an upset, but with Matthew Stafford out, I was sort of expecting it. Um, yeah. 20 to 13, the score in that game. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you wanted to chime in really quick on any of those two games, Dan. Um, I, I, I just want to commend the play of, of Mitchell Trubisky. He played really well, uh, three touchdown passes. And, you know, he's not playing a proficient defense, uh, an elite defense by any stretch uh, of the imagination, but he certainly played solid football, um, just seven incomplete passes too. So I, I give him credit. Maybe this helps him get the monkey off his back. It helps when you're playing Jeff Driscoll on the other side, who, uh, to be honest, I have not heard of him. So that definitely helped the Bears' chances to win that football game. Those divisional games, a lot of times they're a toss-up, especially in that specific division. And then I just want to give credit um, to the Raiders, especially on defense, uh, forcing Phillip Rivers to make three bad throws and three interceptions. Um which ultimately made the difference, just a two-point victory for the Raiders. But, you know, John Gruden appears to, you know, he inherited a really bad situation, uh, a, a really bad football team. He's squeaking out some of these wins, and they're above 500 right now, which uh, at this point in the season would surprises me, to say the least. So um, you got to give credit to John Gruden, what he's been able to do um, with this Oakland Raiders football team. You know, doing just enough to win, and uh, and that's that's what it takes. And that's that, that's another division that's kind of interesting as well. The AFC West, a lot of teams with similar records this year. So we'll see how that one shapes up. Obviously, 
the, the Chiefs are going to be the favorite right now. They still are, even with that loss this uh, this this past Sunday. But watch out for the Raiders here in a couple years. They might be a sneaky team. Um, I'm not sure if Derek Carr is the answer long term. Um, he's had some some tough seasons, uh, but we'll see we'll see um, the rest of this season and for the rest of the future if, if they decide to go with him or whatever the case may be. But John Gruden certainly has done a decent job so far there in Oakland. All right, moving right along, Dan. Your Ravens get the win over the 0-9 Cincinnati Bengals. Lamar yeah. Jackson looked like an animal out there, and RG3 with an interception. Yeah, uh, RG3, I believe it was only his first or second pass, whatever it was. Yeah, it was intercepted. Um they had a nice little drive going there, Josh. Uh, they they did a couple of RPOs, and then uh, RG3 threw it right to the Bengals defender. But other than that, it was like a perfect game for the Ravens. Probably the happiest I've been in a long time. Uh, Lamar Jackson, his numbers speak for themselves, 15-27, to 27, 223 passing yards and three touchdowns. And then, of course, seven rushes for 65 yards and a touchdown as well. So... You know, it's the Ravens, I think, are contenders right now. They've proven that. I thought they proved it oh, after most their definitely. I'm sorry thought, to interrupt, but most definitely contenders to win this division. Yeah, and, and I think they can run for the Super Bowl right now. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still early. We're just over halfway through the season now. You know, but they, of course, they crushed the Patriots on Sunday night football last weekend and this this was a game where they really had to come out and just dominate, and they did that from start to finish, and it really was never close. Uh, they have a fun one this weekend. They have the Texans, so we'll see um, we'll see how they fare in that one. But Lamar is Lamar is unbelievable right now. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it still makes me nervous when when he runs the football. I'm afraid he's gonna get hurt. I'm afraid he's gonna take a big hit. So far, so good. Um, that spin move, Josh. I don't. You probably saw it, right? He's a cheat code. Oh my gosh! He two defenders like ran into each other. Um, that that's an MVP caliber highlight right there. So, um, it's it's going to be interesting. I I hope he can continue this play. We'll see. So, um, that was that was probably the most dominant the most dominant performance I've seen the Ravens have in a long time. Uh, because for years they have never had this kind of offense, and now they have it, and uh, it's it's great to see. All right, moving on. Other close games in Week Ten action: thirty-four to twenty-seven, the New York Jets over the New York Giants in the clash of New York. Tampa Bay over Arizona, thirty to twenty-seven, and. Uh, Two more close games I want to briefly talk about. Minnesota and Dallas. Minnesota beats Dallas 28-24. to Dallas goes behind by two touchdowns. Catching up, trying to catch up, but falling short 28-24 to after a Hail Mary picked off by Minnesota. And I told you last week, this would be the game of the week. The Monday night matchup between Seattle and San Francisco. San Francisco missed a late kick in overtime. And Seattle's kicker comes back and answers the bell. 27 to 24 in overtime. Seattle over San Francisco. 
Yeah, and that's the game of the week as far as I was concerned. Uh, that was a good call, Josh, for you to say that a week ago, that that was going to be the game to watch. But all you had to do was see the records of the two teams that were playing and realize that that was going to be a special game. And it, it lived up to the hype. And it certainly was the best Monday night game of the season this far, um, thus far. So um, Seattle's a really, really, really good football team right now. And, and so is San Francisco. Those two teams, I think, are Super Bowl contenders. Um, you know, R Russell Wilson and Jimmy Garoppolo both had similar stats. They both had a touchdown, but they each had an interception, too. Um, so it wasn't the, the huge high-scoring a performance that I think we kind of expected in that game. Uh, but give credit where credit's due, man. Um, you know, the 49ers scored 14 in the fourth to uh, take it to overtime. And then, uh, of course, they really missed that kick really badly. Um, <clears throat> but it, it didn't matter to me who was going to win this game because I still think both these teams are going to be high seeds in the AFC and the NFC or – or the NFC, I should say. I I misspoke. Um, but this is going to be a really fun race down to the finish in the NFC West to see uh, if Seattle or San Francisco can pull ahead in that division. Right now, of course, San Francisco leads, but it's going to be close. And the second matchup for these two teams could mean huge playoff implications going forward. And I, I can't wait to tune into it. Yeah, I mean, this game was filled with turnovers and I think that's what made it very close. Like I, w there were a few interceptions, a few couple fumbles forced by each awesome. team, but it was, it was a really fun game. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And I, I think when they play again, it's going to be fun as well. Yeah, mo most definitely. But uh, teams on bye weeks this week, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Jaguars, the Patriots, the Redskins, and the Texans. And one last nugget from the Washington Redskins, Dwayne Haskins has been named the starting quarterback for the rest of this season. So <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know what this means for Washington. If you want to try to um, – to figure out what the Redskins are trying to do, Dan. Um, feel free to let me know. <laughs> I can't. I can't figure it out, man. I, I, uh, I. To be to to be fair, I don't know if he's the answer or if, if they need to keep putting Case Keenum out there because both of them, when they've played, have played pretty poorly this season. I I felt. Look, Case Keenum led the Vikings to an NFC championship game. He played excellent. In two Minnesota. years ago. That was two years ago, though. Uh -huh. Quarter, quarterbacks change. And, and look at the system he was in in Minnesota. He had a ton of receivers. He had a great running back. What does he have in Washington? He's got no offensive line. He's got no receivers. He's got no running back. You can't just get one player and expect all that to change. You have to build around it. And the problem for the Redskins – is they nev they've never been able to do that. They've never been able to build, um, since Dan Snyder's been there, they've never been able to build a high-powered or prolific offense. Yeah, um, I, I, I understand that, but, the, yeah. the, but looking back to week one, the, when the Redskins got upset by the Eagles, uh, you know, how the Redskins put like 17 up in the first half and then the Eagles came out and stunned them. Case Keenum had 380 yards and three touchdowns that game. That's the Case Keenum I saw. And I was like, man, if we can keep that production up, 
we're looking pretty good. 221 yards and two touchdowns in the second game against the Cowboys. Then around week three, I want to say, we started going off the rails. Um, Case Keenum threw two touchdowns and three interceptions on Monday night football against the Bears. Granted, that was Monday night, and the Redskins never play well on Monday night. But yeah, I, I, I mean, then, then Case Keenum, you know, just is terrible, and Dwayne Haskins gets put in. And that's that was basically the turning point. But Case Keenum was putting up numbers. So I, I'm not really sure what happened, if it was a mental thing, but it turned into a quarterback controversy in Washington. That's all I'm going to well, say about it. Well, that game against the Giants where they lost 24-3 to was really the turning point for him. Just 6 of 11 for 37 yards and an interception. The week before, he threw for almost 300 more yards than that. So for us, or for me, that's really the, was the turning point for him. Uh, but he's never been a guy in his career who's really thrown a lot of touchdown passes. He had that great year in 2017, uh, with like like we mentioned with Minnesota. But he had un, he had a great offensive line. He had a great running back. He had great receivers. You put you put great players at those positions for an average quarterback and he's going to look like a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. That's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, I I I know that, but with Case Keenum, I saw those numbers of the first two games even though Washington lost and I was like, this is a quarterback we can work with. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I I definitely agree with that. I I especially when you throw for almost 400 in week in week 1 and then uh 220 21 yards in week 2. Yeah, you expect that to continue but the you know the problem is it's usually not going to you just don't expect to take a thud like he did in week four where he threw for 37 yards yeah um that's that's a slap in the face and and that 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 hurts the football team um but you know the Redskins have a ton of a ton of questions not just at the quarterback position uh they have a particular question about their gener about their owner um there was <laughs> There was a rumor about Jeff Bezos. Did you see this? The, the, uh, I, I, I don't think it's true because I saw something saying Dan Snyder is keeping the Redskins. But No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. I saw that today. Um, but, you know, if Jeff Bezos does buy an NFL team, that's going to be interesting. Um, so that's just something to keep keep in the back of our minds. He wants to buy an NFL team, possibly. Yeah, that that's something um, for a later episode. But uh, week 10... That's your recap. Right. Um, we're going to take a quick break, send it to Jason Kamlowski and Fantasy Files. Me and Dan will return in just a moment. Stay tuned for Fantasy Files. All right, guys, welcome back to Fantasy Football Files for Week 10. This is Jason Kamlowski uh, on the Josh Kirby podcast. Just uh, You can find me on Twitter, at Jason Kamlowski. Uh, also write for Dynasty Football Digest. Kind of give you guys a scoop on that every week. Um, just talk about week 10 a little bit. Uh, kind of a interesting week with a couple um, upsets. Obviously, the Dolphins going into Indianapolis and winning against the Colts. Colts looked awful. Um, Brian Hoyer looked absolutely terrible. It sounds like Jacoby Brissett will be back this week. Um, Steelers beating the Rams, um, which is a minor upset. Looks like the Rams are kind of going in the wrong direction here, but they did not score a single offensive touchdown. Um, and the Steelers defense legitimately only gave up three points on, on Sunday. 
Um, the the Rams defense scored nine of their twelve points, um, but you know the Steelers defense is just playing lights out right now. Vikings were great Sunday night. Kirk Cousins, you know, had a had a solid game. Dak had a great game for the Cowboys too. But you know, Dalvin Cook just getting it done again. Um, you know, Seahawks and 49ers was a pretty good game on Monday night. A lot of people are talking about Russ for MVP, which I think Lamar Jackson might have something to say about that because he had another ridiculous game on Sunday. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of injuries. You know. Matt Stafford not playing for the first time in like 162 games. Um, obviously, Pat Mahomes coming back, but the Chiefs still getting beat. Um, and then, you know, the Saints just laying an egg at home against the Falcons. Just a completely, like, ugly performance for the Saints. Really surprised a lot of people there. Uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, me included, expected the Saints to put up, you know, a lot of points because they're at home playing against a bad Falcons defense. Um and it's it's just not really the week I think um, we expected from from the Saints offense. I mean, typically they're pretty money at home, um, but for them to come out and just score nine points was you know kind of completely you know unexpected. I mean, Drew Brees got sacked six times, only three for two hundred eighty-seven yards, no touchdowns. Um, just not a great day for that for that New Orleans offense. And of course, they're going to bounce back. I mean, they're too good not to. Um, but basically right now, like, they're a really, like, funnel offense. We're basically, I mean, Mike Thomas is getting, like, 46% of the target share in that offense. And, you know, from a fantasy perspective, that's kind of what we want to look for are offenses that, that don't necessarily spread the ball around. Um, you know, offenses have a very concentrated target share, market share of, of carries, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, and New Orleans definitely fits that bill. You know, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, um, and then you know you sprinkle in some of uh, some of the secondary pieces. But those are the kind of the three guys with Thomas and Kamara just kind of you know owning the touches. But from a from a fantasy point of view, you know we're getting to that point of the year. Buys um, are obviously you know a big part of of the fantasy you know season right now. Um, got a big bye week coming up, you know, this week and next week again. Um, and after week 12, we should be through the buys, but you know, a lot of injuries piling up, um, you know, Devontae Freeman went down. So Brian Hill was obviously the hot pickup on waivers today. Um, I did not have any shares of Brian Hill getting picked up. I did, I do have him in one deep dynasty league. Um, but wasn't really willing to go out and kind of splurge on Brian Hill, um, you know, the Falcons have a mediocre matchup against the Panthers on Sunday. So, you know, it's kind of hard to say what Brian Hill's going to do. But, um, you know, Jalen Samuels didn't perform very well after a huge game in week nine, just didn't really get anything going um, last week. And, I mean, that's kind of to be expected because if he doesn't get, get it going in the passing game, I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of standalone value as just like a rusher. Like his – his whole game is predicated on getting like seven or eight catches. So he's definitely like a PPR only to me, like type of running back for the most part. Um, Christian McCaffrey got it done again this week. I mean, the, the guy's just a monster. Um, went for 108 yards and a touchdown. Kind of got stuffed to the goal line, though, there at the end of the game. But, I mean, you just, at this point, you just lock him in for at least 100 yards rushing or, or you know, just 100 yards total, anyways. 
Um, Derek Henry looks like he's starting to kind of get going too. Doing kind of the same thing he did last year, 188 yards, two touchdowns against Kansas City. That Kansas City defense just can't stop anybody. Um, they're really starting to look like a run funnel defense, which kind of creates an interesting situation, right, for like teams that go up against Kansas City because they throw the ball so much, it's hard to really just establish a run with them. So it's one of those types of situations where, you know, the Titans were able to, to get the run going and stay in the game. But, I mean, honestly, you know, when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes, you got to try to keep up. And running the football is not how we keep up with with the Chiefs. But, you know, Tennessee, it worked. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out moving forward. I, I Sometimes I'm willing to bet at this point in the year on matchup. And, and of course, I think, you know, with them playing the Chargers um, this weekend on Monday night, you know, you can kind of see maybe like a big game from like, you know, Melvin Gordon, um, really like to see the Chiefs, man. If they could get Austin Eckler going, that would be absolutely awesome because Eckler was just so money whenever he was uh, whenever he was in there. It looks like they're pretty inclined right now to go mostly with um, with Melvin Gordon. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what the Chargers, how they decide to attack the Chiefs. Um, another backfield situation to kind of look at that was interesting was Nick Chubb and how he performed with Kareem Hunt. And I think a lot of people thought that Chubb was going to lose touches somehow to Kareem Hunt. And he didn't. And he was actually way more efficient and effective when Hunt was on the field. And Hunt was actually able to be kind of like a good standalone piece um, as part of that offense. So I think as far as like Cleveland goes moving forward, I think the addition of Kareem Hunt is going to be huge for that offense. And it'll be interesting on, on tomorrow night to kind of see what they do there because – you know, the Pittsburgh defense has been playing lights out, um, but I thought that adding Kareem Hunt to that offense would really give them a dynamic they don't have. I mean, Chubb's a great running back, but he just does not have um, the skill set Kareem Hunt does. And putting Hunt in the mix and putting those two in the backfield at the same time just gives them a look that a lot of teams cannot give um, offensively. So... I'm actually a big fan the rest of the way of Chubb and Hunt. Uh, I think Chubb's a rock solid, probably RB2, RB1, um, you know, guy. And I think Hunt definitely has flex appeal and probably, you know, low RB2, um, you know, depending on depending on the week. And if something happened and Chubb would go down, I mean, I think Kareem Hunt's like a league winner. So, you know, those of you that drafted him and kind of held on to him, it looks like you might be, you know, might be getting paid off here. Um, Aaron Jones had another huge game, three touchdowns, uh, you know, and, and I think Aaron Jones is just legitimately good. They just refused to give him 20 carries a game. I mean, he got 13 carries for 93 yards and three touchdowns. He's averaging 7.2 yards a carry, but they just refused to give him more work. You know, obviously we would like to see him get more work, but you know, when you're piling up two, three touchdowns a week, you don't need 20 carries because you're going to score a bunch of points. Chris Carson, just continues to do Chris Carson thing for the Seahawks. 25 carries, 89 yards. Just He's exactly what they want. Just ground and pound to run the ball. Um, you know, rock people's jaw whenever you come through the hole. I mean, that's just that's what he does. And I was a big Chris Carson guy back in the summer. I will take my victory lap on him. Uh, I said he would be the running back to own in Seattle, and he is. I did not think Rashad Penny was a, was a threat to him, um, and so far he hasn't been. And it looks like, you know, Damian Williams might be taking hold of the Kansas City backfield, which another guy, if you drafted him and held on to him, God help you. But, you know, looks like you might be getting rewarded here late. Um, 
so with the running back position right now, you know, we've got the usual suspects. We've got Dalvin Cook. We've got McCaffrey. Um, you know, we got Aaron Jones. we got Chris Carson. Uh, Zeke, not been great. Saquon, awful. 13 carries, one yard. Just absolutely terrible for Saquon. Uh, you know, and I think there's just some volatility there. Um, you know, talking to Josh back in the summertime, you know, I kind of recommended maybe if the if if everybody thought you should draft running backs, maybe you know go away from the field and um, you know maybe look at the wide receiver position. But you know, it's it's just some of this stuff is so unpredictable. But I think if you look at the wide receivers that, like produced last week. You know Tyreek Hill, eleven for a buck fifty-seven and a touchdown. Like he, I think, is firmly maybe like the number one like wide receiver one outside of Michael Thomas. Like the rest of the way, like he he just has more upside than anybody. Um, just because with the home center the ball and the way his kind of the way his route tree is, you know, he's he gets moved off of the formation and then he also like his a dot is like off the charts. Whereas like Michael Thomas has an a dot that's like in the eight to nine yard range like he's if that like he's like so close to the line of scrimmage like he thrives on volume and it's kind of insane what michael thomas does you know to get 13 catches for 152 yards and that's kind of like a ho-hum week for him but like that's like that's his thing so you know for tyreek like you don't get maybe you know you don't get like those volume weeks where he's getting like you know 11 or 12 catches but what you do get is, you know, the big playability, the 150-yard days with a touchdown, two touchdowns, whatever it is. Um, because anytime, like, he's on the field, like, he's a threat to score. Like, it doesn't matter, like, where they're at. I mean, they can be on the five-yard line and then he's a threat to score. So, you know, and I don't think anybody, you know, back in August was looking at Tyreek Hill and probably taking him over Saquon, McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott's, you know, guys like that, but and I think some people probably hesitate to put him in the first round just because of some of the other stuff he had going on. But and just from a talent standpoint, I mean, he's just he's done it for so long, and and him and Mahomes obviously have like this big connection. So, you know, I think I think he'll definitely maybe next year as consideration as being like the first wide receiver off the board if he can stay out of trouble. Um, you know, this off season. But a couple other guys that look good with you know, Christian Kirk, Darius Slayton. I mean, Kirk just had a ridiculous game. Of course, Tampa Bay's pass defense is just so bad. I mean, they're just a pass funnel defense. Um, you know, they absolutely stoned David Johnson. I mean, David Johnson was just – he was benched on Sunday, which I don't know why he would bench a veteran running back for a fumble. I mean, I think David Johnson deserves better than that. But, you know, Kenny Drake didn't do anything with his touches either. So I would look for DJ to get another chance this week. But, I mean, Kirk was just an animal – I mean, six for 138 and three touchdowns. I mean, he just he just torched them. Darius Slayton had a big week, which is like his second big week in, in the last three games. You know, he's had like these two like ceiling weeks, but then he sandwiched those around like a one catch for six-yard week. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that point to Darius Slayton as kind of being like the go-to guy for Daniel Jones right now um, in that offense, especially with, you know, Sterling Shepard out. And, you know, he, he kind of had a boost with Evan Ingram out too. And I think – um, and that was another probably situation where the Giants basically had three guys that were touching the ball that day, you know, Slayton, Golden Tate, and Saquon. Um, you know, and it, and it doesn't sound like Saquon's going to sit, which that is probably the best move there for them, but it sounds like Saquon's going to keep playing. 
which is fine. I mean, I, you know, he wants to play through it. Good for him. I, you know, I don't think it's, um, I, I don't think it's the correct move, but you know, they've, they've got to do with him what they're going to do with him. Um, but you know, Darius Slayton is kind of an interesting case. I think there's a lot of factors that would point to him like being like more of the go-to guy, but you know, a lot of that hinges on Daniel Jones. I mean, obviously the matchup was pretty good, but I, I want to buy into Darius Slayton. I think if I had the opportunity to put him, you know, on the back end of my bench, I would. Uh, but he was available in one of my leagues this morning, and he didn't he didn't go through on waivers, but he was still out there, and I did not pick him up. Um, just because at this point in the year, I, you know, I'm trying to handcuff some running backs, and you know it's kind of not not a terribly deep bench league, so I did not pick him up. Um, that might prove to be a mistake, but but it's just I, I just hate to bet on on that Giants offense, man. It's it's just not great. Um, you know, Devontae Adams, big game against Carolina. Um, you know, obviously, um, when James Bradbury was out on Sunday, I mean, Devontae kind of became like a lock and load play, which I, I assume most people played him anyways, but like he was like a lock and load play at that point. Debo Samuel, um, big games, held onto the ball more this week. Of course, Emmanuel Sanders going out had something to do with that, but I mean, Debo Samuel was like legitimately good at South Carolina. So, I mean, I don't think anybody should be surprised he's doing what he's doing because, I mean, you know, prior to him getting hurt, like he was like a household name. So, you know, Debo, um, you know, it was good to see him kind of bounce back because he had a couple drops in week nine that were just ugly. So it's always good to see guys draw, you know, kind of come back from that sort of thing. And then, you know, Randall Cobb on Sunday night was just like vintage Randall Cobb, six for one and six and a touchdown, which I thought, think, you know, Randall Cobb was like one of my favorite players of all time because of like all the things he could do, like when he first came out. And, you know, I enjoy watching guys like him play. I mean, I just, I think there's just so many things he can do. He's just so dynamic. Um, but it's, you know, at the receiver position, it's one of those things where you just, you see some names like pop in there and, um, you know, James Washington had a big game, six for ninety and a touchdown. Um, Jameson Crowder had a big game, five for eighty one and a touchdown. Um, you know, Andy Isabella, they're getting him going a little bit more. Um, second game of three catcher three catchers, seventy eight yards. You know, a couple weeks ago he had the big eighty yard play against uh, I think it was the forty ers on a Thursday night. So they're starting to get him going a little bit. Um you know, Ronald Jones on Tampa Bay, he's a running back, obviously, even I bagged on him a little bit last week, but, you know, 8 for 77 in the passing game, and he's never really been a pass-catching back, but they seem content on making him that. Um, you know, he had the fumble on Sunday, but it sounds like Bruce Arians today came out and said he's going to be our guy. So, you know, Ronald Jones um, looking like a good pickup right now. But there's just, there's just so many good pass-catchers out there. And on some of these teams, you know, we want to look for the situations where we don't have, like – three pest catchers that are catching like five passes each you know we want like these guys that are getting like nine to ten targets a game so and as we as we get towards you know playoff time like that those matchups and those things are going to become like more important and you can't overthink things but you also have to look and see what kind of volume guys are getting um which is which is why i would say you know these guys are getting like eight targets like diva got eight targets like that's great um dj moore he's another guy that's been a pretty big target hog the last couple weeks um you know I, I that's another guy i'd probably buy into i mean i picked up curtis samuel because i just believe in the talent 
Um, but that's you know those are a couple guys that I think you can kind of look at on that offense, um, just because of the way the way things kind of run there. It's like more Samuel McCaffrey Olson. Like those are the four guys that are going to touch the ball, you know. And if the if the Panthers if the Panthers get sixty snaps a game, you know McCaffrey's going to touch the ball between twenty five and thirty times. Um, you know that leaves thirty thirty touches somewhere. So, I, you know that's another offense I'd be fine buying into. Um, and you know at this point that's that's kind of what we're looking for is some, you know somebody we can kind of pop on our roster and just you know. Hope for a big score, um, but I, you know, and I think you know, coming down the stretch here. I mean, Thursday night game tomorrow night, Steelers Browns. I, I think that one's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be low scoring. You know, but some of the other games this weekend, uh, the Texans Ravens game is going to be fun to watch. That'll be a good one. Um, Saints and Buccaneers should be another good one. I, I would look for Drew Brees to bounce back this week, and um, you know, just because the Buccaneers are so bad against the pass. Uh, I think I think uh, you know Chargers Chiefs on Monday night is gonna be a good one too, um, and I, I mean honestly I'm a I'm I say this now and and I'm probably gonna regret it but you know I'm a little bit excited for the Patriots and Eagles game on Sunday. Um, hopefully Carson Wentz can play well because um, I actually think that the Eagles have a chance in this game. It's at home, you know. 425 start so you know they kind of get the late start you know kind of a semi-night game so those you know Eagles fans should be kind of ready to go um but you know when until we get through these bye weeks like we're gonna be missing some important fantasy pieces um over the next two weeks so you know make sure you guys are are, are picking up people you know obviously to fill these spots and and you know maybe taking a flyer on some guys on to fill some of these spots but you know, week ten, like I said, it was kind of crazy, um, but that's kind of where we're at in the year. You know, we're we're gonna see crazy, and we're gonna see you know things that we don't normally see. We're gonna see people at the top of the leaderboards of stuff we, you know may not be used to seeing. You know, Kyle Allen went for three oh seven on Sunday against the Packers. Of course, they you know they had to throw a bunch, but like that's a good example of things like that. So. Um, you know, we've just got to make adjustments on the fly. And, and, you know, by now, for most teams, we've got 10 games worth of data points to kind of point towards and and work with, which is a good thing because the more sample size we have, the better off we are. Um, but those are the things right now, you know, when where your team, you know, is 6-4, and 7-3, 8-2, 9-1, you know, that you got to be looking at and kind of saying, okay, you know, how, how are we going to navigate through the next couple of weeks first off? And then, you know, once playoffs come, how are we going to do this? And it's a grind, but the next six weeks are going to be fun. So we're going to enjoy that. Um, and again, you know, make sure that you're that you're on, you know, the waiver wire doing what you need to do. See, see guys are getting dropped because this is the time of year when guys will get dropped if they're, if they're you know, have a bye week, whatever it is. Um, so make sure you're paying attention to that. Keep your eyes peeled. Um you know, hopefully you're you're in contention, and I would think if you're listening to this, you probably are. So um, that's your week ten recap. We will be back here for week eleven next week. Um, so I wish you guys best of luck this week, and uh, hopefully everybody gets a win. See you back here next Wednesday. See you guys. The Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast, part of the Mayo Please Podcast Network, is sponsored by Route Eleven Chips. Make sure you grab a bag today inside your local Martins, Food Lion, and Giant stores.
and our new sponsor and fellow sports fans at PM Plus Reserves, providing reserve studies for homeowner and condominium associations in the Washington metropolitan area for the past 30 years. Make sure you check us out on all streaming platforms via the Mayo Please and the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast. You can also find the Josh Kirby on Sports podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, along with the Mayo Please on Twitter. Have any questions for the show? Feel free to shoot us an email at kirbyonsports at gmail.com. All right, we are back. Thank you so much to Jason Kamlowski, as always, for Fantasy Football Files. Um, always appreciate what he does for the podcast each and every week. Um, so back with Dan Dembski, um, talking some more sports news for you into the baseball realm. Um, I'm, I'm sort of biased on this, but um, the NL Manager of the Year goes to Mike Schilt of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I, I, I'm surprised about this move because, one, NL Manager of the Year, Davey Martinez, got no consideration for whatsoever. He wasn't even a finalist. The Nationals swept the Cardinals in the NLCS and the, the Nats, I mean, you, you know, the story I I've beaten it like a dead horse, 19 in 31 to winning a world series. I I'm not sure what other qualifications you need to become NL manager of the year in my opinion. Um, Dan, I know you had some thoughts on this NL manager of the year. Yeah, here here's the thing about it. I'll start with Davey Martinez. Um, he got three second place votes and six third place votes. Um, he was fifth, I guess fifth overall in the grand scheme of things. Like with Mike uh, Schilt, as you said, and then uh, Craig Craig Council was second. Um, so the thing about the NL Manager of the Year award is it's awarded. Uh, you know, the the managers are usually selected. Um, before the season ends, um, usually right before the playoffs. Yeah, and and, why? Why does that happen? I I don't get that. Why can't they move it till after the World Series? Then, uh, it, well, there there's a lot of writers and a lot of um, you know affiliates involved in the voting process, and they've got to get everybody's everybody's point of view. And I'm not sure if they all come in at the same time if they take votes starting in say September and they ha- they have to go all the way through October, I'm not sure the exact process um, uh, that they take to receive the votes, but I mean, there was these uh, for the AL alone, there were probably 25 or 30 voters on that side of it. And then uh, I guess it would be the same probably on the national league side of things. So, you know, my, my thing is they probably have to get it done early. Um, and I guess at the time, the Nats, they hadn't won any playoff games yet. Um, now, if that runs through the postseason, I think Dave Martinez is undisputed um, as, the, as the National League Manager of the Year. But you also have to realize they're taking in the full season um, body of work, and this is going to anger, I know, some of those Nats fans out there, the fact that they were 19 and 31, the fact that 
uh, fans and, and so many experts were calling for him to be fired um, at that point in the season, I, I think hurt him honestly in, in the run of the voting. Um, of course, you know, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Braves, the Dodgers, they never really had that issue this season there because their teams dominated. So again, taking in the full, the full body of work in the regular season, I, I don't know if Dave Martinez is, is the guy, but uh, if, if you run it through to the postseason, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, I heard someone make a good comment um, that, you know, he, he's not the, he wasn't the best in the regular season, but he definitely was the postseason uh, national league manager um, of the year. And I totally agree with that, but you have to take into account the fact that the voting gets done uh, before the postseason begins. And uh, they they usually pick the most dominant team on that, on the American league and national league side. So, um, and, and Schilt definitely did a good job um, stepping in. Uh, I think this is first or second season with the Cardinals. I can't remember off the top of my head, um, but either way, um, you know, he he's done he he's done everything right so far. So um I don't necessarily agree with him being the choice. I, I think um you know even someone even uh Brian Brian Snicker uh Brian Snicker I, I apologize I probably pronounced his name wrong twice was very deserving and I also thought Craig Craig Council was very de- deserving as well um if you consider the regular season but that I understand your frustration with Dave Martinez, but, you know, at the time when the postseason began, he probably wasn't the best manager in the National League, but obviously he proved in the postseason that he was the best and he, and he was the most relentless manager. And, uh, you know, the Nats obviously dominated on, on the way to their first World Series, and he deserves most of, if not all of the credit uh, for that turnaround during from 19 to 31 of the World Series uh, championship. All bias aside, should do, do you think it's a good idea to move the voting to after the season? Uh, you know that uh, they could do that. Um, you know the problem again becomes, uh, you know when, you know the, you'd have to move the award back so people who watch the end of the season. Obviously, it ends near the end of October. Um, or, yeah, the last couple of weeks in October, usually the season ends. Um, so, I mean, you'd have to wait maybe until December to, to get the vote in. Are people really going to be, be, you know, paying attention to that? That's my question. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is. So um, I think the system they have now is good. Um, but this is another example that it is flawed in that, you know, they didn't consider a season uh, run, the postseason run or anything like that. I totally understand your frustration with that, and uh, you know it makes sense to me. Yeah. So, um, some other postseason nuggets for you. Um, Clint Hurdle has retired from managing, and the San Francisco Giants named former Phillies manager Gabe Kapler as their new skipper. So, um, that concludes some postseason talk, including the. Um, NL Manager of the Year. Um, last but not least, we will preview Week 11 of the National Football League starting off Thursday night. 
Pittsburgh and Cleveland. That's going to be another division matchup. You got the Washington Redskins and the New York Jets. Atlanta and Carolina. Dallas and Detroit. Jacksonville and Indianapolis. Buffalo and Miami. Denver and Minnesota. New Orleans and Tampa Bay. Houston and Baltimore. And what you said, Dan, was going to be a very close game. Arizona and San Francisco. Cincinnati and Oakland. New England against Philadelphia. And the 820 slot on Sunday night. Chicago and the Rams. And Monday night, Kansas City at the Los Angeles Chargers with bye weeks from the New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, Seattle Seahawks, and Tennessee Titans. Real quickly, Dan, um, any notable games you think will be good to watch for this upcoming Sunday? Well, outside of my own team, of course, um, I kind of like the the Patriots-Eagles matchup because we'll get a chance to – to see both teams coming out of a bye week. We'll see who has the advantage. I think obviously the Patriots um, are going to be the favorite in that game, but I, I wouldn't count the Eagles out. Um, I also think the Bears and Rams is going to be a good a, a good game. And then I'm really interested to watch the Steelers and Browns. I think that's going to be a fun game. Obviously, I think the Browns will be favorited. Um, but the Steelers are playing feisty right now, and that's uh, – certainly something that's going to be interesting to see and plays a lot of implications in our division. So um, looks to be a good, a good uh, week, week 11 in the NFL. I'm excited to watch the games and uh, I know we'll have a discussion on it coming up shortly. I may be coming out of left field here, but watch out for the chargers against the chiefs on Monday yeah. night for the chargers to possibly give Kansas city a run for their money. New England. Yeah, that could be an upset. Yeah. Yeah, New England and Philadelphia, another good one to look out for. Houston and Baltimore, in my opinion, and um, mm. and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. You know, there's division matchups, but um, that about wraps it up. Um, Dan, thanks once again for coming on the show. As always, any last words for our listeners? Uh, just just give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, I post a lot about Virginia Tech athletics. Um, not, not only the games I cover, but just, you know, stuff that I think is interesting. Um, uh, at Dan, the VT man, 97 on Twitter. Um, other than that, I really appreciate you having me on Josh. It's always a blast. Uh, I love talking sports with you and, uh, we always, we always have a good time with it. Yeah. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much and hope to get you on soon. As always, um, the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast is brought to you by Rat 11 Chips and PM Plus Reserves. We're part of the Mayo Please Podcast Network. And as always, thank you to MPT Now Productions, Dave Johnson, and JR Beats Official, as always. Make sure you catch us on all streaming platforms via the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast and the Mayo Please Podcast Network. And you can find us on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're also on YouTube and, you know, all those streaming platforms. So till next time, Dan Dembski, I am Josh Kirby saying so long and peace out till the next episode. Have a great rest of your night.